you do your roux in a microwave. This gut is beautiful and it's full of gumbo. Nick Saban puts tomatoes in his gumbo. Welcome to the Gumbo Show. Gumbo is a way of life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Gumbo Show, the show where honest pilgrims hit the road seeking the perfect bowl of protein and fat and flour goodness. As always, I'm your host here in Southeast Louisiana, Feynman Roberts. I'm here in Mandeville. I'm joined by my co-host today, Dave Huguenel from Northern Virginia. What's up, Dave? What's up, Feynman? Top of the morning to you. Oh, top of the morning. It is a beautiful morning today, and today is a very, very special uh, episode of The Gumbo Show. We're very excited today. We are uh, certainly joined by the most pedigreed guest we've ever had. Uh, (laughs) That is three times James Beard, three times James Beard Award winner, a Harvard Neiman Fellow. But more importantly, this is a guy who writes about gumbo and other foods uh, for a living and writes about them extremely well. Brett Anderson, who was a longtime Times Picayune food writer and has written basically the canonical accounts of gumbo in New Orleans and, well, especially in New Orleans, and now writes about food for the New York Times. Uh, Brett Anderson joins us today. Brett, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, you guys. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you here. So um, Dave and I are are just sort of regular gumbo likers. We are lovers. We we like to go out and get a good bowl of gumbo. And as we've said on the show, a lot of times we sort of generally opt for the traditional bowl of, we're really chicken and sausage gumbo, mostly guys. But you've seen all the different kinds of gumbo. So in your time in New Orleans, like, can you sort of briefly describe the trajectory of especially restaurant gumbo from what you've seen? Well, let me, I'm, yes, I will do that. Uh, Mm. I think it'd be helpful to talk a little bit about my personal trajectory because I did not, um, I did not grow up in Louisiana. Mm. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, uh, which is as far away culturally as you can get in many ways without leaving the country. And um, I moved here in 2000, in December of 2000, to be precise, um, to take a job at the Times-Picayune and uh, as the restaurant critic, the, the, you know, the, then the daily newspaper here. And I came here from Washington, D.C. I had lived there for five years, and that's where I started writing about food. I had started in the, in the news business as a music critic um, up in Minneapolis. And um, when I lived in Washington, I worked at a paper called The City Paper, and and I wrote I wrote a weekly column about food called Young and Hungry, um, but I also wrote about other things. Mm. So in any event, I, I bring all that up because when I moved to New Orleans and took the job as the restaurant critic at the Times Picayune, I had been to New Orleans once. <laughs> um, you know, the the to me at that time, the gumbo that um, that I loved the most, um, or that I'd probably eaten the most, was at a New Orleans restaurant in Adams Morgan, run by an Iranian guy, Adams Morgan neighborhood, (laughs) called Bardia's. And, um, and it had tomato in it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and, and so just so know that when I started here in New Orleans, I had a lot of learning to do. And, um, and particularly in 2000, 2000, the early 2000s, uh, you know, gumbo, 
was in New Orleans in restaurants was going through something of a transformation. And that's something I had to figure out from eating in restaurants, but also talking to locals who experienced the transformation that I couldn't see because I wasn't here before. And at that time, you know, Emeril Lagasse was far and away the most famous restaurant, you know, chef in New Orleans, if not the world. I mean, you know, he he was very much the face of celebrity chef, the ascending celebrity chef culture in, in you know, America. Right. And yeah, and, and his restaurants, you know, had an incredible influence on the way that chefs in New Orleans cooked because they were so successful. Mm-hmm. And, but he, you know, wasn't from New Orleans. You know, Emerald's not from New Orleans. Right. Um, he's from New England. And, um, and I bring that up because, you know, he learned to cook New or- you know, gumbo, not at home, not growing up with it, right? He learned it probably right. at Commander's Palace, which is where he took over the kitchen right after Chef Paul Prudhomme. Mm. And and I believe that those two chefs, you know, they really brought in a dark rue style to the city of New Orleans that did not exist. It's certainly not with the same um, intensity as it did in restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. Like Emerald's restaurants would always have a pretty dark roux gumbo. They also did things like, you know, he was Portuguese and he would do, you know, sort of these seafood gumbos that were very much, that were very Portuguese in, in sort of the way that they were spiced. There'd be specials. And and Chef, and Chef Paul Prudhomme, you know, was from Opelousas. He was from Cajun country. He's really who brought Cajun cooking and Dewey sausage, dark roux, those sorts of things to New Orleans restaurants. And so when I arrived, that influence was the the roots were growing deeper on it. Mm. Right. And a lot of the new restaurants that you saw opening around town in those in the early 2000s, I like to think of as as sort of children of Emeril Lagasse's restaurants. Mm. And and they all had gumbo. All of Emeril's restaurants always had gumbo. Right. And, you know, at that time, it was sort of like if you were going to open a restaurant in New Orleans, even if it was Vietnamese, (laughs) you'd have gumbo. Right. Right. And um, and so for my in fact, at the the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, I wrote an essay for The New Yorker about, you know, New Orleans and how it had changed its restaurants or whatever. And I went back and looked at the the reviews that I wrote of restaurants in the first year I lived here. And I. I, I should have looked this up before I, I got on here, but I, I think it was over half the restaurants I reviewed had gumbo on the menu. Mm-hmm. And I was trying for a variety, you know, like I was searching for right, places, right, right, right? You know, because you right. write every week, right? And um, and so th- that in New Orleans was a very, to answer your question, gumbo was as dominant in New Orleans cuisine as any dish was in any cuisine anywhere in America, certainly, you know, and, um, and it, it, one of the things that I think is important to understand about its dominance is that, you know, you had gumbo at the fanciest restaurants in New Orleans and the least fanciest. You had it in home cooks, you know, black African-American kitchens, white American kitchens from Lafayette to New Orleans. You know, this was a dish that was omnipresent and it cut across class lines and racial lines. And I don't, know of another dish that really does that quite the same way that gumbo does. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, something that in my early learning about New Orleans culture and New Orleans food, you know, that was one of the early 
realizations that I came to that took a little bit of time was the omnipresence of gumbo. And then also about all of these rules, you know, like, you know, you, you, know, you add filet at the table, you add filet at the pot, you never add filet, you know, you never combine uh, okra and filet, you never put meat, put meat, never put tomatoes, put tomatoes, you know, like there's just like every rule you could imagine you ever hearing would be broken. And in, I said, I mentioned I had a visual aid. So in 2004, so I, I really started writing reviews in 2001, 2004. I wrote, I, I had, I had traveled all across, you know, New Orleans, all the way into Cajun country with the specific purpose of writing a big sort of gumbo takeout. And, um, and it was called Bowl of Wonder. It came out in 2004. And, and just in thinking about talking to you guys today, I actually found it online. And um, and I remembered that the, the photographer, Elliot Kamenetz, who I don't think is still at The Advocate, but he had been, I he think, was, during yeah. that time. Yeah. And he took a overhead picture of every gumbo that we wrote about in this big package. And I've had a blow up of it in my kitchen for, you know, Almost 20 years. Oh, oh man. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you audio listeners can't see I'm holding yeah. it up in a Zoom. Right. It's, from, uh, it's, uh, it's, what is it? It's, it's, it's a 20 or 25 bowls of it's gumbo. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's, you know, some of the places on it like remain pivotal. You know, my, my favorite gumbos and gumbos that really like educated me, Prejean's and Lafayette, this -hmm. place called Faze Takeout and Honey Whip Donuts in Gretna that was famous for having um, crawfish bisque with the stuffed heads, you know, during the season. Um, La uses by the track, which was, a you know, an, it, when I first moved to town, I, I mean, I think it's still this way. It was, you know, one of the, the gumbos in New Orleans that arrived spiciest. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know what I mean? Like you didn't put hot sauce in it. It was already a kind of a lot, <laughs> um, you know, but Brighton's, Dookie Chase, um, Gabrielle Restaurant, Herb Saint, Mr. B's Bistro, right. Commanders, Cape Paul's. Um, a place in Araby called Krabby Jays. These are some of the places that, you know, <laughs> were doing great gumbos back then and, and that sort of represented this real tapestry and diversity of gumbos. And a lot of those places are still around. Might, might be well, the first time actually... Commanders and Krabby Jays have been mentioned in the same <laughs> well, and, and I think this this brings up you know, the question I've been dying to ask you uh, when you agreed to come on the show, because you know, obviously I loved your article in The New York Times. You know, I mean, first off, you know, the, the title was fantastic, you know, um, uh, but the, the question for me is obviously there's all this controversy over what the right recipe is for gumbo. No one has like no two recipes are the same. Um, so I'm kind of curious where in your mind, like, if there is a line is, does it go from, does a bowl of liquid and meat go from being gumbo to something else? Yeah. That, I mean, that's something that came up. So yeah, to fast forward, I, I, and let readers know, I think it was two years ago. I wrote a story in the New York times. It was before I became a staffer there, but I was freelancing that just, it was a story about an observation I'd made, which is that if you love gumbo, um, there's never been a better time to live in New Orleans. And that um, while I believe that gumbo has become less omnipresent than it was in the era I was just describing when I first moved to New Orleans, its boundaries have been stretched. 
And it's been embraced by a new generation of chefs who are doing really interesting things with it. And, you know, a couple of, of examples in that story that would get to the question you're asking, Dave, is like um, Saffron Nola, uh, uh, an Indian American restaurant in uptown New Orleans, serves a curry gumbo, seafood gumbo. And that, you know, contains all these sort of spices identified with Indian cuisine. Um, but it is, you know, this is a roux <laughs> and, and it, it, it looks like gumbo. And, you know, to me, something that I love about gumbo is this density, you know, there's a, there's a density of flavor that feels representative of, of a lot of what I find fascinating about new Orleans, you know, there's a density to brass band music, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a density to the air, <laughs> um, <it> particularly <laughs> in the summer, you know, and, and, um, and just the, you know, the density to its history and that, that like, to me is what is sort of thrilling about eating gumbo and what is interesting about thinking about gumbo. And as to the line <laughs> where it stops being gumbo, I mean, I think if a chef, is inspired by gumbo and is deciding to call what they're making gumbo. And it has some of the elements that we think of as being gumbo elements. Then to me, like I call it gumbo. I mean, I think that that's fine. <laughs> right. 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 Um, there was another dish that was mentioned in that, in that article that are these um, at Bywater American Bistro, Nina Compton's restaurant in Bywater, obviously, they do this like oyster gravy. Um, that is, they don't call it gumbo. And, you know, and so, and so neither do I. <laughs> um, but it is very much inspired by, you know, technique, gumbo techniques, and, and also inspired by like, what gumbo delivers in terms of that density that I'm talking about. But, you know, the, these, this, these oysters with gravy, I mean, it's fried oysters and there's jerk seasoning in it. And, and there's, you know, grated merlotin in the, in the sort of puree gravy that they put over them. And, you know, and, and it's like, they don't call it gumbo. It's not gumbo, but, you know, Nina could talk to you about, or, or you know, the chef that was there when they created it, Levi Rains, you know, could talk to you about how it, is gumbo-ish, <laughs> right, and, right. and you know, and it's sort of like a tribute to it or inspired by it, and and it's like that kind of stuff that I find, um, you know, interesting to keep an eye out for. Um, you know, Mason, the chef at Turkey and the Wolf, does a gumbo during gumbo season that like has tamarind paste and leeks and all sorts of crazy stuff in it, and you know, he calls it gumbo. He said he has people that come in there and say. I don't think I'd call this gumbo, but I, but I love it. Uh, you know, I find it very like it, it hits m many notes that, you know, some of these deep, dark Cajun gumbos do to my taste, you know, and um, so I, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't know if I did. I, yeah, I guess I did. If someone wants to call it gumbo, who cares? You know what I mean? Like that's fine. Good. I mean, no, I, I I certainly think it qualifies, and and I should say too, I I didn't mention the uh, the title of the article, but I want to give it a plug because frankly, I read it when it came out two years ago, and I've just been a fan of this article since. But this is in the New York Times. The name of the article is "Gumbo: The Classic New Orleans Dish Is Dead. Long Live Gumbo." Um, 
one just a cool title uh and de- de- definitely it was clickbait for me it got Not it everyone got me agreed <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 let them know it worked over here but you know and that's one of the fascinating things we've you know fame and brent and i've seen on the show and frankly even our social media channels you know where we talk about the show and things like that is there are some very strong opinions out there on the gumbo scene, at least mm-hmm. on Twitter and social and Instagram and Facebook. I mean, you know, arguments fly, you know, blood is drawn, you know, when people start talking about tomatoes and the, you know, the type of roux and whether or not it's, you know, there's some people that say that it's not, it's not gumbo if it doesn't have okra in it, because that's what the original gumbo was. And yeah, that's always the fun thing is that it's this very unique dish to New Orleans or to Louisiana. You know, there's differences between Cajun and Creole. We all know that. But just everyone has this strong opinion, and I, I don't have a, I don't find those same strong opinions over like jambalaya or etouffee, like those fights. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that gumbo is where that, like those passions seem to gravitate. Yeah, and I, part of it I think has to do with you know just that there's no one gumbo history. <laughs> you know, there's there's all these different gumbo histories that are. Um, that are told through family and told through communities and told through towns and told through single restaurants that, you know, some of them are frankly incomplete, (laughs) you know, but the people who, who, you know, who embrace them believe that they're the only gumbo history, you know, or that that they're correct gumbo history. So, you know, you see in this debate, you know, some of the fault lines we see in other parts of American life, you know, where it's people just want to, um, to embrace and uphold and celebrate the the stories that they grew up with and that have, they've been told forever and that they that are their truth, right? And um, and gumbo has you know th- there's just so many of them <laughs> that there's bound to be arguments, right, about what is the best and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, and I, I that's it's it's awesome as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, and I've made this sort of offhand comments on the show before, but in in New Orleans, it's such a city steeped in sort of Catholicism and and that sort of religious thing that gumbo is very similar to religion in that aspect and mm-hmm. that people have all inherited a version of it that they hold very dear and they draw lines around where, you know, sort of you step outside the lot, then you, you've, you know, you've excommunicated, you've gone you become a gumbo heretic if you know you put a tomato in. I mean, mm-hmm. we put on our on our social media stuff. We've done a couple of things related to corn. You know, people mm-hmm. mentioning having corn in gumbo. I think Brent got a, a a cup of gumbo in Texas somewhere, and it had corn in it. And we put up that, and then we put up a like a gumbo mix that had corn in it, and just put it on Facebook, and people How'd just go? go nuts. <laughs> it's, it's been great. It's yeah. been great for engagement, uh, mm-hmm. which is good. But people are just like, oh, you know, that's we're going to call the cops and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's it's one of the things that makes gumbo sort of so much fun. And I think you kind of talked to I mean, you definitely talked about this, is that everybody's inherited a version of it. But none of those versions are the same version. My gumbo mm-hmm. is not exactly like Brent's, uh, Dave's gumbo. Because he microwaves his roux, that crazy person, and I would only do my roux on the uh, on the stove. And somebody, you know, we're going to talk to somebody about a dry roux at some point, and just like, what is going on here? I don't even recognize what I'm eating, but it's it's delicious and it's still I mean, gumbo. To be to be fair, because like Feynman, you just like shot a 
shot across the bow here, like bringing up my microwave <laughs> room. Like th- that, that's not me, like, you know, changing, changing my history or my culture or anything like that. That's, <laughs> that's simply me using technology, right? Like, you know, I don't use a wheel and buggy because my great grandfather did that. Like I use, I use new stuff. <laughs> if you don't cook your roux over an open fire, like I do, you're not. Really, really <laughs> fine. fine. Um, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you, uh, we did a, an episode a couple of, uh, it was probably a couple of weeks ago now, where we talked about our favorite places. And, and Dave grew up in Metairie, and I live on the North Shore uh, of New Orleans now. So we talked about our favorite places. And so there were, there were a lot of sort of suburban places on that. And, and just from my sort of limited survey, I don't think you get that same sort of experimental nature once you move outside of that New Orleans heartland, it becomes much, I don't want to say heartland, that New Orleans center where you have all this in the in the New York Times article, all this discussion of gumbo experimentation and people bringing new things into it, which is, is fascinating. But as soon as you kind of migrate outwards a little bit, it seems like people are sort of tightly holding to gumbo traditions, as it were. Is, is that how you've seen it? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, like that, you know, that um, that dynamic you talk about applies to more than just gumbo, <laughs> where uh, when you cross, um, you know, into suburbs anywhere in America. Um, and it, so, yes, absolutely. That's that's I think that's accurate. You know, I also think that um, back when I was still writing locally for the Picune, something that had occurred to me um had happened is that like when people would ask me for, um, you, you know, I want to go to a place that's like, you know, an old New Orleans place mm. that no one knows about that, you know, that feels like you've walked, you know, through a, um, through a glass window or whatever into the past. Um, increasingly those places are in the suburbs <laughs> um, in New Orleans, you know, like because there's been so much um, growth in the city and, uh, you know, which has had a variety of different effects that haven't been all positive um, by any means. But the, you know, and you have more restaurants that aren't strictly drawing on New Orleans past for influences. Um, you know, there are a higher density of restaurants that I think are traditional in the way that people that maybe grew up in the 90s and 80s think of traditional. Those places tend to be in the burbs or more of them tend to be in the burbs. Um, so, Yes, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> um, well, someone is uh, vacuuming outside this door. Is that, are you guys, is that? I don't hear it. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I think. Let uh, me know if you do. But I mean, if you don't know who's doing the vacuuming, then I don't, I don't know if you need to check that out or if you just have random no, no, people good. come we're by good. and vacuum. We're good. We're good. It's <laughs> um, no, the most good. polite, most polite home invasion in the history. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let them stay. <laughs> Somebody broke in my house and vacuumed. In uh, most of Louisiana, you could get shot if you broke into a house and tried to vacuum. Um, so I, I want to ask you this question where we're running up uh, close to our sort of time limit. But um, so if in New Orleans, I wanted to go get, and I realize this term is extremely broad, but I wanted to get the best traditional bowl of gumbo, where should I go? And then if I wanted to get the best sort of new or experimental bowl of gumbo, where should I go? So two bowls, one traditional and one new or experimental. Which would you recommend? I only can have two. 
I mean, Dookie Chase still has, you know, I think very much a model of a, of a old New Orleans gumbo um, that I think people all should eat. It's, you know, that it, 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 there's a lot of protein in it. It's representative of, you know, sort of a seventh ward style, I believe that, um, you know, that Leah Chase grew up making and, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a delicious gumbo. It's an important gumbo and it's, it's different than what you see in a lot of more modern white tablecloth, New Orleans style restaurants. Um, the, it, I'm trying, I'm trying, since you're only giving me two. <laughs> um, we ask the hard questions on this podcast. And I'd like to, well, you know, I, the curry gumbo at Nirvana, I've already mentioned, like, a very good example of where things are heading, right? Um, but I also would say that I think that probably the most influential gumbo, um, I'd say even gumbos, in terms of the influence on, on New Orleans restaurants, particularly kind of chef-driven restaurants in New Orleans in the, in the 20 years I've been here, have been the chicken and dewy gumbo at Herb Saint, Mm -hmm. or you know what's often that their gumbo of the day um but also um a gumbo that i usually see at koshan a sister restaurant to there um which is made with black eyed peas pork and braised collard greens three things that are like when i moved to town we're you know like what <laughs> you know like that's not gumbo you no one ever puts those things in gumbo right but when you know a guy a restaurant known by donald link who's from cajun country and and mm -hmm. and and really kind of is a student of the history of the food did it i think it gave license and it's fantastic I, but i th i've heard talk to a lot of younger chefs who regarded that as as a, a gumbo that gave them license to experiment and um i think it's delicious and I, I like dark roux thick gumbos you know that that's those are the gumbos that i you know i moved here when i was 29 like and with that with that i really sort of sunk my teeth into to pardon the pun and um and are my like that's like that's my happy place um and his, the, his gumbos are very representative of that well that's great well amen and amen on the dark roux gumbos i think uh i think yeah, yeah all... i mean uh, like-minded company here <laughs> yeah you are <laughs> you are certainly among friends in this place welcome as one of us um <laughs> dave here. uh dave do you have anything else no i just i just gotta say uh honestly thanks for being on the show i mean i feel like yeah, this man. is uh this is a real gumbo celebrity um you know, if, you're, if, 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 if you're deep in the if you're deep in the gumbo scene and you don't know who brett anderson is then you're not deep in the gumbo scene that's so. right <laughs> that's right look um yeah brett uh thanks so much for joining us for those of you who are listening you can find brett online on twitter at brett eats right and uh also on instagram correct you're on Instagram. Yeah, I'm not I'm not as active on social media as I used to be, but you, you should yeah. I, I'm on if you go to my Twitter account, you can see most of the stories I write. And there's also a link to my story page in the New York Times there. Right. And uh and also in the New York Times in the food section, uh, which has occasionally been trolled on the floor of Congress. Uh that was uh that was fun. Nothing about gumbo though. No one would dare <laughs> dare go after 
Brett's writing about gumbo on the floor of Congress. Music to my ears. <laughs> Again, Brett, uh, thanks so much for joining us. That's going to do it for this episode of The Gumbo Show. Uh, until next time, may your roofs be dark and your bowls be full. <laughs> <laughs>